Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. In this week's episode entitled Red Tail, I make friends with a new resident of my building, a red-tailed hawk. Like all new relationships, it takes time for us to get to know each other, but eventually a bond develops and we share some joys and sorrows. Red Tail, Episode 1 Today, Whitey, Calico, Bossy, Bully, and Weakling are all behaving as normal, but Clubfoot is missing, which worries me. They're all members of a flock of pigeons I've started caring for in my free time. Tending to them is a demanding job. Besides scattering their food, I have to use a bamboo pole with a tennis ball at one end to push away Bossy and Bully so the weaker ones can actually get something to eat. This all takes place on a 20,000-square-foot tarred roof atop an old, once-abandoned factory building that is part of an early industrial complex of a dozen buildings. My building, which has been taken over by a group of artists, is a spectacular brick building from the early 1900s with five floors, each with 20-foot ceilings designed to accommodate all the old mill equipment that was mechanically powered by a water wheel in the nearby Charles River. I've cut a hole in the ceiling on my top floor of art studio and built a wooden stairway to a hatch door on the roof which opens much like a grand piano lid. I'm the only one with access to the expansive roof, which is surrounded by a four-foot-tall parapet wall that protects my little roof garden paradise and my flock from the winds off the Charles River. It's great having the roof to myself, away from the drama and difficulties of all the artists living below. You wouldn't believe what goes on down there. Fights between different artist groups, the graffiti artists versus the realists versus the abstractionists and the conceptual artists, And that's just the tip of the iceberg. After shaking out the last of the food in the sack, I decide to sit for a while to take in the morning sun and my flock of pigeons roosts at my feet. Just as I close my eyes and begin to nod off, thinking to myself that life is pretty good, a dark shadow flickers across my face and the whole flock erupts into flight. After an explosion of beating wings, the flock is gone and there stands a big red-tailed hawk over two feet tall on top of a flapping, flailing, and very damaged pigeon. I'm horrified to see that it's weakling. The hawk keeps a keen eye on me while it needs my pigeon to death. When I charge at the bird with my pole, it gracefully takes flight with weakling in its talons, and they both disappear over the parapet wall. I get up and watch them disappear into the distance. Weakling was a skinny, starving chick rejected by her mother when I first found her. Having hand-raised her since then, I now feel completely crestfallen. The following morning, while I eat breakfast at a table by my windows which overlook the river, I feel hungover from the horrific events of yesterday. It seems like a snake has entered my Garden of Eden. My space has three 16-foot-tall windows with a panoramic view of the Charles River and the larger body of water above the dam. At one end of the windows is the top of an outside cast-iron fire escape that terminates on my floor. Above the horizontal fire escape balcony is a small, narrow, peaked roof structure that protects anyone on the fire escape from the rain, a design feature dating back to well over a century ago when such quaint, old-school detailing was in practice. 
There's also some beautifully crafted brick flourishes adorning the building that no bricklayer today would have the knowledge to undertake. The hawk has reappeared and lands on the top railing of the fire escape with another pigeon in its talons. Thankfully, it's not one of mine. The red tail again eyes me while it defeathers and dismembers its prey, then flies away. After lunch, I'm still feeling unnerved by the new arrival, so I treat myself to an afternoon off away from the birds to watch a Red Sox baseball game. Between innings, there's what might be called a fateful coincidence. The TV camera pans to the flagpole at Fenway Park. At the top of the pole sits another red-tailed hawk, observing the action. Most likely, it's there to hunt for rats in the stand, but it's picked a poor time of day with 40,000 fans in attendance. Or maybe it's just after the occasional errant hot dog that's fallen from its bun. All this prompts me to begin researching red-tailed hawks. I discover that male and females of the species both have the same brightly colored federation, unlike most birds, where the females are less colorful. The females are also considerably larger than the males, so the hawk on my roof is definitely a female, whom I now decide to call red. And the top side of her tail isn't red, but really an orange, rusty color. The next day, red is at it again. While she flies to land on top of the fire escape with her prey, she's being chased by an angry flock of crows, swooping and pecking her. Once she lands under the tiny fire escape roof, they can't effectively dive at her, which is probably why she chose this place to make as her regular perch. Red is a clever bird. The other rooftops are lower than mine, and each is surrounded by a parapet wall. Watching her prey on the pigeons that roost on these rooftops, I can see that she's a brilliant hunter. First, she soars high above the factory complex, observing where the largest flock is located. Next, at a distance, she swoops down to below the level of the surrounding roof parapet so she can't be seen by the flock, and then at high speed, flies straight at the building, then rises up just to clear the top of the parapet and pounces on the slowest pigeon. Many of her attempts are successful. My guess would be that her batting average is about 500. It now seems pointless to keep feeding my flock on the roof because I'm setting them up to be preyed upon, making them sitting ducks, as the saying goes. It's a sad few days when I go up to the roof and chase them away, but I can't figure out another solution. I'm reminded of Tennyson's words from In Memoriam. And love creation's final law, though nature red in tooth and claw. Each morning, Red, the solitary predator, arrives outside my window, sometimes with a rat in her talons, but mostly a pigeon. More often than not, she's being harassed by a flock of mockingbirds or blackbirds or crows. I find myself softening to her plight, leaving me guilt-ridden for my shifting allegiances. Over the months, I inch my chair closer and closer to her end of the window, and she begins to accept me just as I begin to accept her. Ironically, I'm a solitary creature inside my studio while she's a solitary creature outside it. When I'm walking outside sometimes, 
I see her flying high above the river, always alone. After she trusts me more and more, I venture to feed her. With a piece of raw steak skewered on the end of a long pointed stick, I slowly extend it toward her, but she flies away. Within a few days, though, she accepts my offering and they become regular events. My next move is to wear a heavy leather glove and feed her from my hand, which she quickly adapts to as well, as long as I don't make any sudden move. One of the artists has a canoe kept on the banks of the Charles River above the dam, which I borrow one day, a beautiful summer's day, to paddle upstream looking for Red's nest. Surprisingly, it doesn't take much of a search. In a dense stand of pine trees, near the top of the tallest one, a weathered old-growth Norwegian pine, there it is, a big, sprawling mass of branches, probably eight feet across, but Red's not inside it. As I walk back to the building along the edge of the lake, she suddenly swoops down and glides just over my head. She seems to be saying hello, a gesture that I find very moving. As fall arrives, something strange happens. Several days in a row, Red arrives on the fire escape perch without a pigeon, and I feed her some meat. I'm perplexed, so I go up on my rooftop with my binoculars to check out the adjacent rooftops where, surprisingly, I don't see any pigeons. Maybe all the flocks have moved elsewhere to avoid Red, but this seems like much more organized behavior than most flocks of pigeons are known for. Their disappearance is a real mystery. So what will happen to Red? Will she leave like the pigeons, or will I have to keep feeding her more and more raw meat so she doesn't starve? Listen to part two of Red Tail to find out what happens to Red. The Compulsive Storyteller is written and narrated by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kokoma, who also made our theme song. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen, and it would be great if you could leave a review. Follow the show on Instagram, at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more info at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening. And if you didn't like this one, the next one will be another story.